0: welcome to pff wire i'm doug kide joined as always by brad spielberger brad how you doing after week
1: one the funny thing yesterday was i don't know if you had this sense but we had the red zone on we had a couple solo games and the first half was kind of slow not a lot of scoring and then i feel like seven or eight games were one score games going down to the wire we had a couple overtime games so uh you know we're all the way back
0: yeah, two overtime games, both like knotted at 2020, starting at pretty much the exact same time. I had, you know, Red Zone on the TV. I had a couple other screens with games going on. Yeah, it was, uh, it I, I for some reason, it didn't at first feel like a normal Sunday. But then, yeah, by the time that all those overtime games kicked in, it definitely did. We've got a lot to talk about. Let's start it off with last night's game, the most recent thing that happened. Probably the biggest consequence of yesterday's. Slate of games. The Dallas Cowboys Buccaneers game. Dak Prescott suffered a thumb injury, reportedly will be missing six to eight weeks, will undergo surgery to fix that thumb. Um, and as of now, it looks like Cooper Rush is going to be the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback moving forward. But I mean, this has massive consequences across the entire NFL. But simply looking at the Cowboys, their odds to win the division have literally dropped from first in the division until last i think they were like um plus 140 entering yesterday's slate of games now they're at plus 500 so just a a massive injury and now you're questioning whether or not the cowboys are even going to make the playoffs
1: yeah that's crazy they obviously were taking a step back this year letting guys like amari cooper randy gregory leaves go to other teams but you don't have to be bad that following year i mean look at the kansas city chiefs so it's a massive loss, obviously, after about six to eight weeks, it sounds like, pending this surgery. He also just didn't look good before then. I mean, missed a couple yeah. throws. I know he he dinged up his ankle in practice. He downplayed it all week long, but whatever was bothering him, he was not good. When you don't have receivers, when CeeDee Lamb was kind of underwhelming, frankly, in his own right... You have Tyron Smith obviously out for much of the season. I, I think it's just such a massive missed opportunity. You have a good quarterback who's now hurt, but you're 29th in cash spending in the NFL in a really weak NFC conference and a really weak NFC East division, maybe outside the Eagles. And, and the whole season almost might be out the window, you know, one week into the year.
0: Yeah. And it, yeah, it's, I mean, I said it all off season. I didn't really understand what the Cowboys were doing, letting guys like Lyle Collins go, trade away Amari Cooper, uh, let Cedric Wilson go in free agency, re-sign Michael Gallup. Seems like he's going to be back sooner than later. But yeah, I mean Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott was the lowest graded offensive player on the Cowboys uh, with a thirty seven point four PFF grade, and yeah, he didn't look like himself. Ceedee Lamb didn't look like himself, and I mean, I know that you can't overspend on backup quarterbacks. I do think that teams, you know, even teams who have their starting quarterback set should still draft, uh, you know, quarterbacks in the second or third round to try to get some developmental guys in there. But it's so telling that the Cowboys had Will Greer, Cooper Rush, and uh, Ben DiNucci during the preseason. And they were willing to just put those guys on waivers. They waived Cooper Rush and waived Will Greer, knowing that no one in the NFL was going to claim them. And even if they did, they really didn't care that much. So they entered yesterday with Cooper Rush and Will Greer on the practice squad. Uh, Cooper Rush was elevated from the practice squad, but it was only one of those temporary elevations. Obviously, he'll now be signed to the 53-man roster so that they have a, a healthy quarterback. But, I mean, that's telling that they were willing to put those guys on waivers, willing to lose them, and now one of those guys is probably going to be starting for the next six to eight weeks.
1: It's hugely telling, and like you said, you can't spend a ton necessarily. I'm sure we'll hear a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, his contract is very tradable. He would have to accept the trade, but I think it'd be crazy for him not to you know, go play for the Dallas Cowboys, um, but even look at smaller moves like a Minnesota Vikings. They were in the same position. They did not like who they had. They traded a seventh-round pick for Nick Mullins to the Las Vegas Raiders. Look, is he a world-beat Is he going to win you six to eight games in a stretch if Kirk Cousins goes down? No, but... This hypothetical, I think it's more and more important each year where if you need to win two or three games maybe, your quarterback's out for a month, and you need, need to be, at least be competitive, you have to have a decent backup quarterback. And, and Mullins isn't making crazy money. I want to say less than $2 million. So you don't have to go nuts. You don't have to get a Jimmy Garoppolo. I think they should make a move for someone. Um, who that is, maybe bring Andy Dalton back. He's with the New Orleans Saints. Try to do something because, like you said, they clearly do not believe in the guys they have in the building as of right now.
0: Yeah, it's a tough situation. Mason Rudolph is the third quarterback with the Steelers. Uh, he was not active uh, on game day because they've got obviously Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett there at quarterback. So maybe that would be a possibility. Um, you know, it's it's probably a minimal upgrade even if they do that, but at least he would be a backup option if things go south with Cooper Rush, then at least you'd have someone like that. Uh, people have thrown around Teddy Bridgewater, but like you're the Miami Dolphins, why do you want to trade Teddy Bridgewater? Tua didn't look fantastic in yesterday's game. I'm not saying that, you know, there's going to be a situation where Tua uh, Tonga-Vailoa gets benched and Teddy Bridgewater comes in there, but teams don't want to trade away their backup quarterbacks, especially if they're contenders for this very reason. So I don't know. I mean, I think personally, I know I'm sitting here in New England right now, the Patriots take a pretty smart approach with this, where they draft these developmental quarterbacks probably earlier than they should. I mean, even this year, they spent a fourth round pick on Bailey Zappi a year after they drafted Mac Jones, but that allowed them to trade away Jared Siddham. They've still got Brian Hoyer, but over the years, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Jacoby Brissett, uh, Jared Siddham, all these guys they bring in as developmental options. And then you see which ones work. You see which ones you trade away for Philip Dorsett, like they did with uh, Jacoby Brissett. But at, at least there's, a influx of quarter or, uh, you know, there's a constant influx of quarterbacks coming into the system that you can see at least what you've got there. So I don't know. What what are you thinking about the Cowboys and the NFC East in general right now? I, do you think they even have a shot at a playoff spot right now?
1: It's tough. I mean, they also lost safety Jaron curse. Who they brought back this year on a two year, about $10 million deal after he was one of our highest graded safeties last year, always been a good player that graded super well, but finally actually played as a full-time starter last year, almost a thousand snaps, um, I mean, the defense look good, right? I mean, the Buccaneers couldn't do a ton on offense for much of the game. Micah Parsons is a freak. I mean, was living in the backfield last night. But but it's tough. I mean, it's tough to envision them really scoring points. They couldn't score at all with Dak Prescott, um, much less without him. End of the day, though, this NFC is so bad where maybe he does come back in six weeks and they can sneak in as a wild card. Um, but Philadelphia, yes, they led Detroit all the way back in the game and won by a field goal. But they look to me like a team that is now going to take a stranglehold on this NFC's division.
0: Yeah, uh, Conor McGovern also went down with a high ankle sprain, so he'll be out for a little while. Um, Lots of offensive line issues there. Maybe Jason Peters comes in and and fills in in one of those spots. Tyler Smith moves over to guard. I don't know. It's it's honestly not looking good there. I will say, though, I mean, yeah, the Commanders won, the Eagles won, and the Giants won. So Cowboys already have kind of dug themselves a hole in their own division, and I would say that my expectations – heading into the season were extremely low for the Giants. And just from talking to people around the league, they were actually pretty impressed with what the Giants did and how their offense looked in that game. So they might not necessarily be bottom feeders. And same thing goes with the Washington Commanders. I mean, Carson Wentz certainly looked a lot better than I was expecting uh, in yesterday's game.
1: Yeah, I mean, credit to Dr. Eric Eager, one of his favorite props all season long, uh, or off season long, I should say, has been the Giants. I want to say over seven wins. Um, just doesn't think they're as bad as maybe they, the people think they're going to be. They do. They have some talent left over. I, when I clicked over, I saw Dory Jackson making a couple of plays on defense. They obviously are getting some pass rushers back in the near future. And then credit to head coach Brian Dable. I mean, mm-hmm. being balls enough to take the go for two to win the game there in your debut. That's what you do when you're the worst team in a game. You're at Tennessee against a good team. You want to have more variance and shorten the amount of possessions. Going to overtime, you're probably going to lose that game. So credit to him for doing it and, and pulling off the win there. But, yeah, I mean, look, if Saquon Barkley can go for about 180 all-purpose yards, um, they did have some injuries. It sounds like Kadarius Tony is dealing with some in- an injury again. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, they're maybe not as bad as we thought they could be. Yeah, Wandell Robinson went down
0: in that game as well. Uh, let's talk about the Steelers-Bengals game. I, I certainly was not expecting this out of Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Um, it, they, they obviously came back. They made things interesting against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was one of those games that we were talking about that went into overtime. But uh, Joe Burrow was, was pretty awful in the first half of this game. Uh, he had uh, four interceptions, a lost fumble. Uh, Did not grade particularly well for us. I think he only got like a 53 grade. Uh, But yeah, what was your initial takeaway from just the Bengals struggling more than I think a lot of people would have expected them
1: to? You know, I think one big thing, a mantra that we have here at PFF is saying sacks are a quarterback stat, which is a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know, oversimplifying. It's not maybe that extreme, but what is true is that. Quarterbacks, we've, we've shown in data, can control when pressures turn into sacks. He was sacked six times. I want to say on 11 different dropbacks, he was pressured. I mean, they were getting after him all game long, and that's with and without TJ Watt in the lineup. We'll maybe get into him in a bit here. But, yeah. um, yeah, so so even if you retool this offensive line and add three new starters, if Joe Burrow is still holding onto the ball really long, which he was, he's going to take a lot of hits. And he just – he cannot hold up if he, if he gets hit that often – uh, in every game, and I would say maybe the appendix, you know, had that out during training camp. Maybe still bothering him. They did battle back and push that game to overtime, but four interceptions, fumbled on a sack—about as bad of an outing as Burrow could have had, and you know, in the, in the return from making the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, certainly a little concerning, especially after how much the Bengals spent on their offensive line this offseason. I think that we all expected a lot of those protection issues and offensive line issues to go away heading into that game. But yeah, it's certainly possible that, I mean, a lot of those pressure issues that the Bengals were facing last year as well could have been up to Joe Burrow. Obviously, they didn't have a ton of talent on the offensive line. We'll see how this goes moving forward. This might be one of those overreactions to week one that we wind up having. But uh, Steelers did not come out of this game unscathed. Uh, You referenced it. TJ Watt, he said, I think on air that he tore his pack. They're determining at this point whether he's going to just try to, um, you know, heal it on his own, which I think Adam Schefter reported would be a six-week timetable, or if he requires surgery, it would be a season-ending injury. They also had an injury to Najee Harris, a uh, foot injury. We'll see what what happens there with him and if he's able to come back. But not great for the Steelers uh, to come out of this game with that many injuries to important pieces.
1: Not at all, because look, the defense is why they won this football game. I mean, it went to overtime and they had five turnovers. Uh, I want to say Mitchell Trubisky averaged about five yards per attempt. Uh, Najee Harris did score a touchdown later in the game, but didn't really do anything. And it does sound like maybe a re-aggravation of a Frank injury in his foot, which bothered him in training camp. Quick little fantasy aside, if he's out, Jalen Warren is their number two running back, not owned in almost any league, and the Steelers believe in kind of giving one running back a lot of the touches, so maybe a guy worth targeting there. But yeah, it, both huge absences because they don't win this game without five turnovers, and they're not going to get five turnovers in, in many games going forward.
0: No, definitely not, although obviously being able to get five turnovers against Joe Burrow is certainly a good sign for their defense. Uh, one other note, T. Higgins suffered a concussion in that game. He had to leave the game. We'll see how quickly he's able to recover. Uh, this was the local game for me, Patriots and Dolphins. I think that a lot of the offensive issues that we saw this summer for the Patriots reared their ugly head here in week one against Miami Dolphins. I don't think Mac Jones played particularly poorly in this game. I don't think that the offensive line, you know, they were, not great, but it certainly wasn't a complete abject disaster. Bill Belichick said this after the game, you know, if two or three plays had gone differently for the Patriots in this game, they at least would have been more in it. I don't think it was just a kind of a strange game where I don't think the Dolphins offense played particularly well in this game. I think their defense will be stout moving forward here, but yeah, just kind of an odd game overall between the Patriots and Dolphins. But I, I mean, the the Patriots backs are kind of up against the wall right now because of the offensive issues that we saw throughout the summer. Now into week one, now they're going to be facing the Steelers who have that stout defense that was able to generate so many turnovers against the Bengals. I don't know if this heads into week two, maybe we'll start to see some offensive changes for the Patriots.
1: Yeah, certainly possible. I I mean, I think the winner of this game may have been the Buffalo bills, frankly. I I mean, yes, the Miami dolphins won. And I do think their defense is legitimate. Didn't even have cornerback Byron Jones, Um, And still, we're pretty stout on the back end. Melvin Ingram, great signing. One year, $4 million. Gets that fumble recovery touchdown. And Javon Holland is one of the best draft picks from last year. Picks up right where he left off as, I think, one of our highest-graded safeties in the NFL. But – but Tua Tagovailoa, I mean, there was a jump ball to Tyreek Hill that should have been an interception. He had another throw later in the game that should have been an interception. He wasn't terrible. He, he obviously also hit those guys, hit Jalen Waddle for a touchdown. But yeah. I saw a stat during that game. The touchdown to Jalen Waddle was a 33-yard touchdown. It's Tua Tagovailoa's deepest or longest touchdown pass of his career, and it traveled about eight <laughs> yards in the air. So that's just kind of the story with him. I, I'm not trying to get Tua on mad at us, and apologies for throwing you into the into the ring there, but... It was a big win. He's 4-0 against the Patriots, which cannot be, you know, shaken off. But they just, again, they look like what I expected, a good defense and an offense that, you know, if they're need, if they down and need to score, g- good luck with that.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, it could be all season where you see that Tua has good you know, raw stats, but the grades aren't necessarily there. And the, you know, the big time throws aren't necessarily there. There might be more turnover worthy plays than interceptions. We'll see if he can continue to be as fortunate and lucky as he was the in week one against the Patriots. But uh, one other note just on the Patriots side, Kendrick Bourne played two snaps in this game after having a pretty strange summer. And on those two snaps, he caught one ball for 41 yards and was the second leading receiver uh, on the Patriots. So, you know, at least from one person I talked to, sounds like he might be getting a little bit more playing time moving forward here. He certainly earned it in that game. But, you know, there was bound to be an odd man out in that wide receiver room where you've got Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne, four starting caliber wide receivers but they're running a lot of 12 personnel with Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith on the field. So there's really only two and a half starting wide receivers on the team. So in this game, it was Jacoby Myers and Devontae Parker were basically the two starters. Nelson Aguilar played fewer snaps than those guys. And then Kendrick Bourne was basically an afterthought. So we'll see how this all shifts around, but I mean, Kendrick Bourne looked like he should be on the field on that one snap just about, uh, you know, and basically from what I heard, Sounds like it might just be the coaching change. I mean, Josh McDaniels, I think, was a big fan of Kendrick Bourne. I think Bill Belichick's a big fan of Kendrick Bourne. Uh, Mac Jones is a big fan of Kendrick Bourne. But some of those other offensive leaders might not know him as well. Might have more faith after the summer and some of the, those uh, those other players. So I don't know, just something to monitor moving forward, because uh, certainly was a strange scenario in that game. With Kendrick Bourne was the second leading receiver and played two snaps. Uh, this was a game that I'm sure that you were monitoring very closely, the 49ers and the Bears. Bears, one of the biggest surprises of the week, come out with a win against 49ers.
1: Yeah, you know, I try not to always be a pessimist and, and not give my bears some credit. They deserve credit. They they played well. The young defenders played well our highest graded rookie was fifth round edge defender Dominique Robinson out of Miami Ohio he had one and a half sacks one of which he just burned Mike McGlinchey and then just threw Trey Lance to the ground um you know looked good he lined up on the inside a little bit on the outside as well um so you know credit to Ryan Poles and and this new staff but it also was a mud bowl. I mean if you tuned into this game folks before the game even started there was puddles splashing on every play and then starting in about the late third quarter right when the, the Niners needed to start throwing the ball to make a comeback it was a monsoon so it was is like the perfect timing where as soon as you needed to throw you literally couldn't throw um, you know, it, it was it was you know it's tough to take a lot away from this game, but again, credit where it's due. They stuck in it after a very slow start. Fields had about 19 passing yards, like in the middle of the third quarter. Um, and then had a bomb to Dante Pettis, who you know gets the touchdown against his former team in San Francisco. But yeah, it was a fun open. game. No
0: one screen on that play.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a bizarre play. Yeah, because the cameraman didn't even know what was going on there. But, nope. but yeah, I mean, hey, they were not they were a, a touchdown underdog at home against San Francisco. Um, you know, credit where it's due. I do
0: want to talk about the the second year quarterback class a little bit because this is a good time to do it. Trey Lance and Justin Fields both clearly part of that class. Mac Jones, uh, Davis Mills, Zach Wilson, and Trevor Lawrence as well. Zach Wilson didn't play because he's still dealing with that knee injury. But I'd say that this was a disappointing day overall for that 2021 draft class. The top rated player in that draft class, at least in week one, was uh, Davis Mills of the Texans with a 68.1 grade. The lowest graded player was Justin Fields with a 44.2, Trey Lance with a 53.7, Trevor Lawrence with a 56.3, and I'll round it out with Mac Jones with a 66.2. Lance and Fields, you can kind of understand the issues because as you said, it was a mud bowl, it was a monsoon, not great passing uh, conditions out there. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, Trevor Lawrence had a bad rookie season. He had a pretty bad preseason. And now he didn't have a great week one, also. I'm just kind of curious to see how this rookie, this last year's rookie class actually shakes out by the end of the season because it's still just not looking great right now.
1: I watched a lot of Trevor Lawrence yesterday and I actually went back and watched him again. And, and look, he did have some plays. He had some nice throws, but he missed Travis Etienne on a wheel route where he was wide open in the end zone. Should have been a touchdown. Overthrew him by legit like three or four yards. Yeah. Etienne also dropped the ball like five times. He was as bad as it gets yesterday. But but yeah, yeah I mean, I, just, there was a lot of meat on the bone. If you watched Trevor Lawrence yesterday, he just didn't capitalize on it. And I know he looks the part and some people are already ranking him as like a top 15 quarterback purely based on you know draft stats and this projection they've had from college, but eventually he has to show it. I mean, the offensive right. line is not that bad. The, the, the weapons now, Christian Kirk, I thought played well. Um, the weapons are not that like. He, eventually, he's got to do something with it um, because yeah, he he left a lot out there yesterday on the field.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. I, I asked someone uh, who kind of paid a pretty close attention to that game uh, around the league about Trevor Lawrence, and he was even saying that he still has faith in him. So it's not you know it's not just the media types. It's not just but I do think that there could be an element there of, you know, everyone was so high on him at Clemson when he was coming out of the draft. Like you're kind of relying on your priors with him where, I mean, I didn't, I'm not going to lie. Like I was covering the Patriots at the time uh, for, you know, most of that college season. Yeah. And even into that draft. So I knew the Patriots weren't going to be picking first overall. I knew that they did, they weren't going to get Trevor Lawrence. So I wasn't paying that much attention to him. I, I didn't have like, I don't have this, you know, uh, bias or anything like that with Trevor Lawrence. So just for me, simply seeing what he's done so far in the NFL, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, he, he kind of has to prove it to me, maybe more to, to other people. And maybe that winds up happening this season. Uh, advantageous offense with Doug Peterson there, as you said, lots of good weapons around him. They've improved the offensive line. So there's definitely fewer excuses for him this season. So I'm just kind of waiting to see him put it all together and be that prospect that everyone expected him to be. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Raiders Chargers game. So it's another kind of bizarre one where Derek Carr uh struggled, struggled mightily in this game
1: yeah let all quarterbacks for us with five turnover worthy plays three of those went for interceptions also had a bad miss in the end zone way behind Darren Waller should have been a touchdown there so look you can't trade for Devontae Adams re-sign Darren Waller spend all that money on defense and have Carr basically lose you the game a big divisional matchup with the Chargers who didn't have JC Jackson it did have Khalil Mack looked pretty good in his debut but that's just you can't afford that with what you're doing in Las Vegas what did you see there
0: yeah, I mean, I, I also saw like, an incredible performance from Devontae Adams. So it's he stepped up. Um, you know, Hunter Renfro was maybe not as productive as, as we might have expected him to be. Darren Waller had made some good plays there. But yeah, just uh, kind of a bizarre performance from Derek Carr. Maybe still getting used to that offense with Josh McDaniels. It's one of the most complex offenses in the NFL. And it's one that, you know, anyone who would come to New England, the wide receivers would really struggle learning it. Uh, Some running backs would struggle learning it. And they never really got in a position where they had to rely on a young quarterback having to come in and learn that offense right away. I mean, in 2008, when Tom Brady didn't play the whole season, uh, they had already had Matt castle in that system for a while. So he knew it like the back of his hand. And then Tom Brady didn't miss another game until 2016. They had Jimmy Garoppolo who had been in the offense for two years. He knew it. Well, then they actually did have to rely on Jacoby Brissett for a couple of games, one of which they lost the other one. Uh, they didn't really make him do anything. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough offense to learn. We'll see if there's a, a, bigger learning curve for Derek Carr if there's more growing pains for him in that offense, but that could be one of the issues is that it's a very complex offense and maybe they do need to simplify things a little bit. Uh, But overall, I thought the Chargers played pretty well in that game as well. And that was despite the fact that Keenan Allen left that game uh, with a hamstring injury, they're playing on Thursday night. So maybe not, you know, great timing for Keenan Allen to go down. One thing that was pretty crazy to me is that, you know, Justin Herbert played really well. I thought. And that was with basically no production out of Mike Williams in that game as well. He, he did almost nothing in that game. So Justin Herbert was spreading the ball around and still put in a, a, a really good, strong performance.
1: I got to shout him out. DeAndre Carter was our highest graded player that was a free agent this offseason. Signed, I want to say a minimum deal or close to a minimum deal. He was with the Texans, the Bears, and I think one other their team last year kind of bounced around the NFL. Had a touchdown, and a, another really nice catch I remember seeing during the day. Yeah, so so shout out to one of the big free agent signings, him and O.J. Howard, I guess. The, the best signings of September.
0: Uh, DeAndre Carter was on the Patriots practice squad like – what feels like 10 years ago. I think it was like (laughs) probably legitimately five years ago now at this point. But yeah, I mean, he was, he earned a 90.4 grade yesterday. And he's a guy where it seems like wherever he is, like coaching staff say really good things about him. Like people really seem to like him. He's this kind of undersized quick returner type guy who can make some plays on offense but i don't know maybe, maybe they're finally the team that's going to get something out of deandre carter but yeah i mean he actually played 500 snaps last season for for washington that was the most that he's he's played as an offensive player throughout his career but yeah certainly a uh, impressive performance there from deandre carter for the los angeles Chargers. he got the right quarterback to to kind of bring him along and and we'll see what happens there uh another injury from that game anthony everett Uh, the Raiders cornerback suffered a broken thumb. He'll be out three to four weeks, kind of a revolving door right there at cornerback for the Raiders right now. Nate Hobbs is great. He's kind of their top cornerback. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. He did a little bit of both in that game, Uh, but otherwise a lot of questions there at cornerback. And and we talked about this before on the show, just kind of a, a skeleton team overall where they've got some impressive starters, but not a lot of depth overall.
1: Yeah, no, Averett's a big loss because they just traded Trayvon Mullen, um, you know, to the Arizona Cardinals, who had some injury issues of his own right. I think he's actually injured right now. But, you know, a former second-round pick had been a decent player for them. Uh, you mentioned also, maybe to tie things all together, you mentioned Carr maybe needs another receiver and maybe Kendrick Bourne if he's not getting enough playing time. If Joshua Daniels loves him so much, maybe he brings him over. Uh, and maybe that's why Carr was throwing all those picks because he, you know, he was looking at Waller looking at Adams looking at Renfro they were blanketed and they didn't know what to do next but yeah the, the Raiders the, the depth is not there and, and more injuries is, is bad news
0: yeah they've currently got I think Matt Collins is their number three wide receiver um he I don't think they got a lot of production out of him Yeah, one catch for 16 yards so yeah there is certainly a team that could use a third receiver at the same time I would say that Uh, Derek Carr is, I think a lot of teams would would take Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller as the top three pass-catching options in the offense, and Uh, Josh Jacobs at running back is no slouch there as well. So um, yeah, I'm not going to give Derek Carr too many excuses for for the poor, (laughs) poor performance there. Uh, Let's talk about some other notable takeaways from the week. Uh, Commanders rookie defensive tackle, Phil Darian Mathis out for the season with a torn meniscus Ravens. Cornerback Kyle Fuller has a torn ACL. He's out for the season. Ravens fill in left tackle. Juwan James has a torn Achilles. He's out for the season. Eagles defensive end, Derek Barnett, torn ACL. He's out for the season. Uh, just with the Ravens here, it, it seems like the injury bug is biting them again. And it's 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 rough because it was about as bad as you could possibly get last season. They have to hope that these injuries slow down now at this point.
1: Particularly a cornerback and offensive line, it seems to be consistently those yeah. spots, right? Like year in and year out. You know, Fuller was a bit of a depth piece, but obviously a good former first-round pick of the Chicago Bears. Coming off a down year with the Denver Broncos. But yeah, Jawan James is probably the bigger one with Ronnie Stanley still on the shelf. James, they were, you know, the Ravens kind of did him a favor. If folks remember when he tore his Achilles away from the facility during covid Uh, And the Broncos essentially released him and were able to kind of say, you know, you did this without our permission outside the building. And the Ravens signed him to a two-year deal last year as a bit of a solid, let him rehab in their building and come back and play, and he gets hurt right away. So really unfortunate for him in his you know return to football that he's immediately hurt. But yeah, for the Ravens, I mean, yeah, they played the Jets. They were fine yesterday, but eventually they're going to need some pass protection up front for Lamar Jackson. He was running for his life a little bit yesterday. I mean, Quinton Williams had a good game, and there were some, some solid pass rushes from the Jets in a general sense. He avoided it yesterday, but he's not going to avoid it for a full season.
0: Yeah, and it was against the Jets, who I, I think we expect to be one of the The worst teams in the NFL this season, but I mean, yeah, Ronnie Stanley didn't play; he's still recovering from that injury. Marcus Peters, he's still not ready to play; he's recovering from an injury last season. And now it's those depth pieces that are already going down, so they have to hope that those starters can get back on the field. I'll just say that I I was pretty impressed with Lamar Jackson this game. I I wasn't able to watch, you know, every snap uh, very closely, but overall, he was he was firing some passes in there that I think that some people doubted that he could have made in past seasons. And it seems like he might kind of have a chip on his shoulder this season, not getting the contract that he wanted. And we might see a, a different Lamar Jackson this year.
1: No doubt about it. I mean, we did knock the jets. I so will give them some credit. DJ Reed actually had a phenomenal yeah. interception for them. He's a big free agent pickup and it was one of the, it'll be one of the highlight plays of the year. Um, and then sauce Gardner, their rookie, obviously top five pick graded pretty well for us as well. But the bomb touchdown of Rashad Bateman uh, it was it was like, a, hey, I'm betting on myself, and I want a monster contract, and here you go. It was like in the air, 55, 60 yards, on a rope, exactly where it needed to be. Yeah, Lamar is, you know, he, he's out for blood this year.
0: Also, two touchdowns from Devin DuVernay. He'll probably be a, a popular fantasy waiver wire pickup based on those two touchdowns, but I don't know. I kind of slowed the expectations a little bit for Devin DuVernay just based on his his usage out there, but I'd say that in general, there was a few guys out there. OJ Howard had two receiving touchdowns as well. Um, what's his name? The the running back from the Titans, Dontrell Hilliard had two yep. receiving touchdowns. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had two receiving touchdowns. It was kind of a weird fantasy day where like some of the top picks, your your Patrick Mahomes is, your Justin Jefferson's, Devontae Adams like went off. And then it seems like almost no one else had had fantasy production this week.
1: It was bizarre. Yeah, quarterback was weird. I think Carson Wentz was maybe besides Patrick Mahomes was one of the highest, you know, scoring fantasy quarterbacks. Um, it was a weird day. It was the scoring came from all over. Maybe it's week one. It's just kind of the weirdness of it. Um, but it was not your typical guys, you know, scoring the touchdowns for a lot of teams.
0: Also, not a lot of rookies. I feel like on offense that went off. Jahan Dotson had two touchdowns, but those were two of really of his only plays on the day so just as far as waiver wire pickups go there there could be a lot of uh guys who, who disappoint you this year but brad any other thoughts before we let everyone go here
1: yeah well you mentioned it, so i guess some couple of waiver wire mentions um oh. i don't know if we talked about elijah mitchell i, mean, I probably should have mentioned that i right, was yeah wanted to do the san francisco chicago so that's on me but you know i think jeff wilson their backup running back is probably the top target. He was not good against the Bears, but as we mentioned, the conditions were atrocious. Um, it sounds like he is significantly ahead of Jordan Mason and Tyrion Davis Price. He got all the touches after uh, Elijah Mitchell went out. He's supposed to be out for a month plus, it sounds like. And then Chris Godwin with the Buccaneers came back in the game. It was frankly remarkable he even played in week one had three catches for 35 yards but then pulled up with a hamstring sounds like he could miss a couple of weeks julio jones kind of looked like julio jones so both of those guys julio jones and jeff wilson i checked yahoo and espn they're both around 30 40 50 ownership in yeah. either website so guys you should probably be targeting heading into week two
0: and uh, just a note it, yeah it would be Tyrion davis price was not active in this mm-hmm. game i think that the 49ers should probably just stop drafting running backs because it's it's really not going great for them so far. Uh and then Jordan Mason was active, but didn't play on offense in this game. It was it was all uh Jeff Wilson after Elijah Mitchell went down with that injury. And I think there's a report that it's gonna be about a two-month injury uh for Elijah Mitchell. So plenty of time for whoever fills in at running back for the 49ers to, you know, make an impact on your fantasy roster. So I think that will do it. For today's PFF Wire, make sure to subscribe to PFF Wire wherever you get your podcasts, or you can keep watching it on YouTube. Fully up to you. Download the PFF app. Subscribe to PFF Plus. You can still get a free weekly trial for PFF Plus, which is the best deal in all of sports. Make sure to follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Throw me a follow at Doug Kide. We will be back with you guys again on Wednesday to talk about all the injury updates throughout the week. I think that we're planning on being back on Friday as well to update you before the week two slate of games. So keep it on PFF.com tell them.